Amen. Uh, we all go through these different seasons of life. I was, I was feeling sorry for myself the other night. I was on the couch feeling sick. And you know when guys get sick, it's not good. <laughs> Even they're just colds. It's like, oh, the agony. Oh, the pain. <laughs> it's like my wife has all these diseases, and I'm like, oh, woe is me. <laughs> kind of a thing, right? It's just funny. But I got, I got watching YouTube, you know, like, and that's, that's kind of just like the news sometimes. Like, I look at all these news, news programs, and the other thing I got caught on the other night when I was laying on the couch, you know, just coughing, hacking away, was, uh, was AI, artificial intelligence. I went down that rabbit hole kind of a deal, right? And that's the, newest, that's the newest fear. That's the newest anxiety. That's the newest worry that we face, right? Uh, like, uh, and there's so much going on. Like, in the last several years, the advancement of artificial intelligence, whether it's the search engines, the chat bots, whatever... The, uh, the, the, the software, it's just the programs are, are really coming together in, in fascinating and incredible ways. They, they can paint pictures, they, they can uh, write your, 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 your papers for school now. Uh, the, you know, I even saw an article the other day about how some pastors are being tempted to let the, the AI write their sermons, kind of deal. They're, they're, they're that intelligent, as it were, sentient beings almost, it seems, like almost human-like qualities and that's stoked a lot of fear, of course, a lot of fear of job loss, you know, accountants or software engineers or architects. I mean, the, it's amazing what they can do just in a few seconds, you know, drop a whole house and all the details. It just, it's just so fascinating what, what they can do. But it stoked fears of, like, yeah, like I said, job loss, but bigger fears. Like, if, if some of you are, like, alive in the 80s and 90s when all the Terminator movies are coming out, right? The, the computer became alive, and it decided that humans were the problem, and it eradicated all the humans. And so there's, there's a fear out there, that the, the, the next fear, I guess you'd say, right? That, that AI is going to ruin the world, wreck the world, destroy the world. Well, get in line, right? I've, I remember in, in like, like when I was growing up as a teenager, it was the, the, the hole in the ozone that was going to destroy the world or AIDS or, or different things, and every year it's like something new comes about. All right, COVID is going to destroy the world, or, or this is going to, nuclear war, Putin's going to destroy the world. I mean, just never ending things that are going to wreck us are going to kill us. And you know, you know so yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're all going to die one way or the other, even if it's just from old age. Uh, who's going to save us from AI? Who's going to save us from this? Who's going to save us from that? I, you know, maybe, maybe I'm getting old and crusty now. And I'm just tired of all those, all those fears that the news stokes all the time about this or that, right? But there's a bigger question to be asked. When we talk about salvation, we talk about what are, who's going to save us from, from that trouble or that tribulation? <laughs> well, uh, there's bigger fish to fry, so to speak. There's bigger questions to be, to be asked. Like when we die, when we all die, who's going to save us to heaven? Who's going to save us from hell? Who's going to save us from the condemnation that is due us, the judgment due us from our sins, to our sins, as a result of our sins? Who's going to save us from that? Who's going to save us from eternal punishment, eternal separation from God, and save us to eternal life? What about that question? That's, that's what we're going to look at today. Would you open your Bibles to Acts 15? Acts chapter 14, rather, verse 27. We'll continue our sermon series 
through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 14, verse 27. We're picking up kind of where Malcolm left off last week. The end of the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. Uh, through chapters 13 and 14, it, it was a year or two journey, and they came back to Antioch. In verse 27, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how, they, uh, how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That's great, great terminology, great picturesque language. And they remained no little time with the disciples. And so maybe they spent another year or two in, in Antioch. We're not sure how long they were there exactly, but they were there for a long time. But some men came down from Judea, from, from Jerusalem, and they were teaching the brothers. They, they spoke to the church. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, they're, they're talking about the big salvation, right? Eternal life kind of things. You cannot be saved unless you follow the custom of Moses, the law of Moses. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. At this time uh, in Jerusalem, there's, most of the apostles were still alive, were still gathered in that place, and, and so it was a place of authority. They went up to Jerusalem to debate this question, to discuss this question. So, verse 3, being sent on their way by, by the church in, in Antioch, Syria, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, went down the coast through Lebanon, modern-day Lebanon, and, and down into Israel. They, they, uh, they described in detail the com- conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers in, in the churches there is what he means. When they, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order for them to keep the law of Moses, to order them to keep the law of Moses. So it's very, very harsh, very, very, very tight regulation. And basically what they're saying is, uh, hey, these Gentiles, these pagans, if they want to be saved, they need to become Jewish. They need to follow the law of Moses. You should order them to follow the Mosaic law to be saved. Well, verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So they came together in a church council, a meeting, an open meeting for all the churches, for the, for the leaders in Jerusalem and the whole church. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that they will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James, this is the brother of Jesus, not the apostle James, who had been killed earlier, 
murdered earlier. This is James, the brother of Jesus. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a people for his name. And with this, is word, the words of the prophets agree, just as is written, and he quotes an Old Testament scripture uh, from Amos, I think. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the, the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and will will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Uh, therefore, my judgment, see, by this time, James had become really the leader of the church in Jerusalem. My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from, every, from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. <clears throat> and stop there, please. So uh, we, we see that there's uh, this celebration that they, when Paul and Barnabas come back to Antioch after the missionary journey, they're gone for a year or two, they come back to Antioch, they start saying, man, the Gentiles came to faith. The Gentiles believed in Jesus. As we preach the gospel, they, they, God opened this door for them to believe, this, this door of salvation, and they put their faith in Jesus, and there's a great celebration. But then uh, the, the, these guys from Jerusalem came. And, and they're Pharisees, uh, their background was Pharisaic. Uh, and Pharisees, if you don't know much about the Pharisees, they really were, were conservative in, in many ways. They really, they really taught the law of God. And it was, a, it was a great movement in the season because there was liberalizing forces in, the, the, in Israel. The Sadducees and other parties were very, you know, pulling away from the Word of God. And the Pharisees were, hey, let's, we've got to stick to the Word of God. We've got to stick to the law of God. Uh, but, but, you know, praise God. Over time, however, they heard the gospel. And, and these, these Jewish Pharisees, they came to faith in Jesus Christ. They trusted in Jesus Christ. But they, they, they really struggled when it came to the pagans, when it came to the Gentiles, when it came to people like us non-Jewish people, they, 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 really, they really were adamant that no, uh, they have to become Jews just like we are. They, they have to fulfill the law and, the, and the, the circumcision thing, you know, the nick on the male organ, what is that about? Why is that a big deal? In the old covenant, it was the sign of the covenant, a sign of being in a relationship with God, okay? But it, it was kind of, for the Jewish people, it was like a heading for every other command, you know, it was like it was the starting place for all the law of God. And so it's kind of like the summary statement. They have to be circumcised, meaning they have to do everything that Moses taught if they're going to be God's people. You know, it's a, it's a Hebrew salvation. It's a Hebrew religion. They have to become Hebrew, basically. And so, so we, we see that in, in chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And, and, and later, in, in verse 5, um, after the... Uh, Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem, and after they shared with the church, uh, they had another co confrontation. Some of the believers who belonged to the parties of the Pharisee rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And so you, you see that there's this, there's this dispute. You know, Paul and Barnabas, when they're arguing, they're saying, no, man, uh, when we shared the gospel, we never commanded them to keep the law. God never told us. To, to, for them to be saved, they had to become Jewish people, uh, uh, aligned with Judaism. 
Uh, certainly Paul and Barnabas saw continuity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, between what God was doing through Israel and what God was going to be doing around the world. But he, they, they no, that's a sharp dispute in verses 2 and 3. Um, uh, you can imagine the arguments they had, how long those arguments went. But it wasn't resolved, so hey, we need to, we need to resolve this. And it was important that they did because... Because if they hadn't have resolved this, you know, Christianity might have fractured among many different lines, even more so than today. Uh, they, they held on to the core thing about how we are saved. Um, uh, you know, salvation is, is, a, is a big deal. I remember uh, when I first uh, became a Christian, I went to Bible college, and, and maybe I've shared this before, I can't remember, but I, I got a ride with this, this guy from California. Uh, he had this VW bus that he, re- he rebuilt and stuff, but it, it was so funny because every word, he, uh, we were in Oregon at the time, and, and every word out of his mouth was, dude, dude, whether you're old or young, you know, male or female, it's like, hey, dude, <laughs> kind of deal. Well, we picked up this hitchhiker, and, and, uh, and I was kind of irritated because we had class and we were going to be late, and, but he was that kind of guy, like, no, we have to pick him up, and and after we said our names, the first thing he said was to the guy was, dude, are you saved? Dude. <laughs> but, but he, you know, the guy, I could tell, I don't know if he was a little bit inebriated or, or what, but he, he had no clue what, what, what my friend was talking about. Like, saved from what? From measles? You know, from communism? From politics? You know, from what? <laughs> kind of deal. And so we, we do have to address, when it, when the, these, these parties, they're both talking about the same thing, a Christian salvation. Christian salvation is different from Muslim salvation, you know, the, the, it's different from Hinduism and Buddhism and Mormonism, it's different from polytheism, it's different from animism, it's a certain type of salvation, there's a certain problem, there's a certain solution to be saved, and... and uh, so they're talking about the same thing. And, and what, what, is, what are they talking about? It's the problem that we face as humanity, as human beings. No matter your background, no matter your history, no matter what family you come from or what nation you come from or what, nas- what origin, heritage you have, our problem is that we're sinners. Our problem is we've sinned against God, we've rebelled against God, we've hated God, we, we thought we could do it ourselves. And, and the consequence of that, we've been separated from God. The relationship has been broken between the Creator, our Creator, who made us in His image, who made us in His likeness to represent Him, to be in relation, to be in communion with Him. It's broken because of our sin. Uh, and it's, it's, the, the, the problem is just horrendous because it's not this, this neutral thing where, oh, I'm not in relationship with God. To be outside of, God, of relationship with God means we're in a state of condemnation. We're in a state, and this is God's world, His creation. Every sin is going to be accounted for. And so we, uh, being sinners who can't stop sinning, man, to be saved means it's, it's a huge deal. To be unsaved means we're under judgment. We're under condemnation. We'll face the wrath of God. The outcome of which is that we will not be with God in heaven. We will not be with God in the kingdom of God when Jesus comes back. We will not be with God in the eternal state will be in hell. The judgment is so serious and, and the condemnation is so terrible. Man, the, the, the salvation that, that's being talked about here, they agree on it to a degree. In a sense, the Pharisees, the Jews, they're all Jews who have come to faith in Jesus. 
And they all realize that to be saved means that after you die, you're going to be with God in, in the kingdom of God, in, in, in heaven. You know, there's degrees. And if you remember on Easter, we talked about life after life after death, about going to heaven when we die. But when Jesus comes back, the kingdom of God upon the earth, and then one day the eternal state, they're agreeing on that, that somehow after death, death isn't the end of us. But after death, to be saved means we haven't been condemned, we haven't been judged, we haven't been sent to Hades or Sheol or hell. We'll be with God forever, eternal life. But the, the Judaizers, as uh, some have coined these people, uh, we read about them in some of the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote. They went further. In their minds, oh, no, it's not just trusting in Jesus. Yeah, we've trusted in Jesus. We've depended on Jesus. We've believed that He's the Messiah, that He is the Christ who was to come. He's the Savior of the world that was promised in the Old Testament. We believe that. But these Gentiles, we believe that uh, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. That in continuity with the Old Testament, in continuity with God's commandments through Moses, they have to become Jewish people. You see, the, you see the issue here. They're saying Jesus plus. And Barnabas and Paul are saying, no, no, it's Jesus alone. You trust in the Lord Jesus alone and you are saved. Saved to heaven. Saved from hell. Saved to eternal life. Saved from condemnation. Saved forever. Through Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That, that, see, the conflict, you see what's going on here. And so what goes on? Uh, we, so uh, they open up the council. And, and you know, these, these meetings, um, before modern technology, before, you know, we had, we had clocks <laughs> and stuff, meetings like this would last forever. Sometimes you go to a church business meeting and it lasts for two hours and you're like, oh, whoa, death to us all. How can we last two hours in a meeting? Well, these meetings, uh, typically what would happen on a church council at a meeting was they'd let the junior members go first. Maybe the new believers, the younger members, they would share their opinion. Hey, stand up, I believe this, I believe that. And then they'd work through that and take hours and hours, even days at a time. And then the elder members would speak and then the apostles would speak. Those who are appointed to offices. And, and so uh, Luke records just a, of the bare minimum here. He records uh, Peter speaking, the Apostle Peter. He records the Apostle Paul and Barnabas speaking, and then James, his, his speech. Just to summarize, the Apostle Peter gets the biggest chunk of, of the description of, of what's happening here. Um, if you look at verse 7 with me, just to summarize Peter's argument, and it's an argument based upon experience. It's an argument based upon experience. Uh, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So you remember in chapter 10 as we studied that, in chapter 11, the, the, uh, the, the story of Cornelius and his family, his household come in the faith. Right? Uh, it was an amazing thing because Paul, Peter was in Joppa and, and he gets this 
this, this uh, group, this entourage that comes and, hey, my master, this Roman this centurion, this, this pagan, he wants you to come and tell him uh, what God has told you to say. <laughs> right? And so Paul's, Peter's recounting that and saying, you know, by, by God sent me to bring the gospel to those people so that they would believe. Uh, so, he, you know, we, 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 we studied that. We, we recounted the story. It was an amazing, amazing act of God in Cornelius' life and his family's life. Uh, but, but he says, um, and God, who knows the heart, and so God looking at the pagan heart, God looking at the Jewish heart, whether you're born there or born there, whatever, God knows whether you believe or not. God knows whether you have faith or not and trust in Him or whether you're trusting in your works, or trusting in your heritage, or trusting in something else. God knows the heart. He bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And this is so important for understanding the book of Acts. right? We see uh, people come to faith and they have tongues, and, and some say that's a prescription for all the church at all the time. Everybody who comes to faith should speak in tongues. No. If you read through the book of Acts, it's like God bore witness that he, to the apostles, to the leaders in the church, that even those pagans could be saved. How did he bore witness? By the physical manifestation, the outward expression of the Holy Spirit in their life. Peter's saying, man, I preached the gospel so that they would believe. And when they believed, God gave them the Holy Spirit. And in that certain time, in that certain season of church history, God allowed me to see the Holy Spirit's presence in their life. Spoken in tongues, and, and you can read through the first part of Acts and see that several times. But, he, but he's saying to them, listen, God saved them on the gospel, not on the gospel plus being a Jew. Not on the gospel plus your good works. Not on the gospel plus keeping the Mosaic law. He said God saw their heart, and when they believed, the Holy Spirit came, a sign of their salvation. They're saved by faith alone, in other words. In Christ alone. He made, verse 9, no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. By faith. By faith in Jesus you are saved. By faith in Jesus you are forgiven of your sins. By faith in Jesus you are saved. Forever. From the condemnation that you deserve, from spiritual death, from eternal death and separation from God, you are saved by faith in Jesus, he, he, he made no distinction. And, and he goes on further and he says, guess what? We're saved in the same way, my fellow Jews. <laughs> Remember what happened at Pentecost? He goes back to Acts 2. Man, when God saw our hearts, he gave us the Holy Spirit. When he saw that we had faith, he gave us the Holy Spirit, a manifestation of his presence, so that we would know we're saved in the same way, by faith by belief, by trust. And then he goes, in verse 10, he's like, hey, do you realize what you're doing? In demanding that someone be saved by their works or by their goodness or by their ethnic ethnicity or something like that or tying into a new race or something, if you're saying that, you're arguing against God. He says, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Why are you arguing against God? Now think about it. Has there ever been a Jew 
other than Jesus who's ever kept the law? Has there ever been a purpose, a people, any place, any time, anywhere, who's kept the Mosaic law? And yet, you are demanding that these people get saved by keeping the law. How dare you? (laughs) How dare you? Who do you think you are? You've never kept the law a day in your life. You've never loved the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, as it says in the Old Testament. You've never done that a whole day in your whole life, and yet you are giving them a legalistic way of being saved. Shame on you. Verse 11, we believe that we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The grace of God is a wonderful thing. The grace of God, the unmerited favor given to sinners, the undeserving blessing given to sinners, God's goodness given to those who don't deserve it, salvation given to those who haven't earned it, (laughs) who haven't qualified for it, rather who deserve nothing but judgment and wrath, the grace of God. Peter Peter says it so clearly, and, and so we will be saved just as they will. We'll be saved by faith in Christ by the grace of God, not by our works. Not by, and so you know, the, the passage goes on from there. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Paul, you know, like Barnabas, that was, he was, a, he was a, a, a leader in the church in Jerusalem, so coming back to his stomping grounds, uh, Luke starts with Barnabas. Barnabas and Saul, Paul, they shared about, um, man, yeah, that's exactly right. We saw the same thing. We shared the gospel and they believed. But we can also add that when we shared the gospel, God, God gave attesting miracles, signs and wonders to persuade the Gentiles that they should believe the gospel. And so they, they talked about that and it was, it was a big deal. And then James stands up and James says, hey, you know, what they're saying is in accord with the Old Testament. What they're saying is in accord with the prophecy of God. And therefore, my judgment is that we shouldn't make it hard for the Gentiles to be saved. <laughs> Very un- unsta- understated kind of a deal. In other words, we shouldn't add any more requirements to the Gentiles to be saved. And what, what, did the, uh, what, what did the church think about that? What did the council think about that? Look at verse 22. How did they, how did they uh, come together? Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders, and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading, uh, leading men among the brothers. So these are probably elders in the church of Jerusalem. With the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It seemed good to us, having come to one accord, okay, so the letter saying we were in total agreement on this, to choose men, send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth. So we're writing this letter, but we're sending these emissaries to tell you the same thing verbally. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, 
uh, from blood, from what has been strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. And, and so the, the bottom line here is, is no, you, you're not saved by keeping the Mosaic law. You're not saved by becoming a Jew. You're not saved in adding anything to Jesus. It's Jesus alone. But uh, what about these requirements as the ESV uh, labels them? What these are about, they're not like a substitute law or something like that. Like, no, you don't have to keep the Mosaic law, but you have to keep this law. That's not what it's saying. He's saying throughout the Roman Empire, in every city you go to, in every province you go to, you're going to run into Jewish people. And as you go to share the gospel there, as you go to share about Lord Jesus Christ there, uh, if there, there, there are certain things that are really going to get under the skin of the Jewish people are really going to, uh, you know, if, especially the Jews that come to faith, that become Christians, uh, there's certain things that are going to irritate them. And so as, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, abstain from these things so you don't irritate these people to death. Okay? And so there are certain parts of being a Jew back in the day before the temple was destroyed that were uh, especially irksome to Jewish people about the pagans, about the Gentiles. And there, there's three kind of uh, food law things here. Uh, it says not be polluted by um, you know, the, the meat that's offered in the marketplace. Uh, what would often happen would be uh, you go to the marketplace and you buy meat from some vendor, but what really took place was they, the vendor offered that meat to their god, to their idol. And so it was devoted to a pagan god. Uh, uh, you know, and we know behind some of these pagan gods, from behind these idols are demons. And so, man, don't, don't, don't when you're in mixed a mixed crowd with Jewish people, you Gentiles who are being saved, who are saved, don't eat that food in front of them. Don't, don't, you know, the, don't hurt the weaker brother, so to speak, from the arguments from, from Romans. Uh, the other thing is, make sure that the meat you get, it wasn't killed by strangling. And we're like, in our day and age, what <laughs> kind of deal? Uh, the Jewish people were very kosher in the way they, they dealt with their food. They drained the blood from the animals they killed. The pagans didn't do that. And so the meat was still in, the blood was still in the meat, so to speak. Now, for us, it's like, what's the big deal? But for the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians, it was a serious thing. Don't do that, you Gentiles. In love for your brothers, don't stir the pot. Don't irritate them. The third thing was, don't drink or eat blood. Oh, isn't that special? Never thought of that one. Like around, around the world, different cultures, uh, especially pagan cultures, they, they do. Like I think in England, there's blood pudding. Uh, in, in different places, I know in the Philippines, there were certain dishes that had blood mixed in. Uh, just around the world, the, the, the calorie intake, it was important not to waste the, the, the flesh, waste the blood. And so different dishes uh, were made with blood. And so, but this was irritating the Jewish people because from Genesis 9, like the life's in the blood. And we don't want to violate that whole deal, so don't go there. Don't go there, you Gentiles. And so, and the, the fourth one's the, the weirdest one or the oddest one. Don't participate in sexual immorality. That's not, that's not a, uh, a choice you can make. All of us, Old Testament, New Testament, none of us should participate in sexual immorality. Even today, as the world's going crazy, sexually immoral in so many ways, right? We as Christians, we're still called not to be sexual uh, sexually immoral. 
fornicating and, and uh, you know, the things that go on today. So what's he talking about there? Well, the pagans were famous for their sexual immorality. The Roman Empire, man, you grew up in the Roman Empire. You, you indulged in prostitution all the time. You had many lovers. You had many different kind of, of sexual morality. Even if you're married, there was certain sexual morale, in God's sight, wrong things that you did as, as a pagan. Don't do those things anymore. You know, and so it's, a, it's both a challenge the, the, the Jewish people, they, they look down upon you because you're practicing things that you think is right but is wrong in God's sight. Stop it. It was a, it was a command in that case. Uh, but as, as we, as we, I hope you're seeing the principle here. You're not getting, like, do we, do we face these things today? Like, is there people going around town saying, hey, you have to become Jewish to be saved? Not usually. Every once in a while, there's a cult or a fallen group that comes and says, yeah, you have to keep the whole law to be saved. But we usually don't face that. But you see the principle, right? And their, their, their issue was um, believe in Jesus, but also be circumcised, keep the law. Stepping back, we are tempted to, to believe something similar. Trust in Jesus, but work for your salvation. Trust in Jesus, but merit your worth before God, earn your place in heaven through a variety of different things. So let me, let me just uh, unpack that a little bit more, just so you know that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Uh, the, the, uh, if someone says to you, hey, Jeron, or hey, Paul, or hey, hey Jim, or, or hey, Elizabeth, how do you know you're going to heaven instead of hell? So maybe there's a whole litany of bad answers to that. And just let, let me give you two. Uh, I might answer that and say, well, um, I'm going to heaven instead of hell because I've followed the plan that my church has laid out for salvation. Uh, I've kept the plan that my church has given me to be saved. That, that, that's a bad answer. The right answer, I'm going to heaven because of the grace of God. I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. Because of what he did on the cross, his death, his resurrection, by Jesus alone I'm saved, his merit alone. But if you say, yeah, I'm going to heaven because I follow my church's path, that's Jesus plus. You trusted in Jesus, but you're trusting in your own efforts. I jumped through all the hoops. I went through all, all the litany of things my church wanted me to do. They wanted me to do this and this and this. I kept all the commands. I did it myself. You see, faith... Faith is depending on someone else. It's a dependence on God alone. But when I start adding into the mix my works, my efforts, that's depending on me. Right? Now, now, you know, faith is not alone in some senses. When we come to faith, when we believe in Jesus, of course we're called to obey. Of course we're called to follow God, to, to, to walk with Him in obedience. But as soon as it becomes meritorious. As soon as it becomes something I do to get saved, that's a wrong answer. If you are depending on what you do, and you do alone, ultimately, that, that's how it turns out. You know, these Judaizers, yeah, I depend on Jesus, but really what they really were depending on was their works. Same thing happens to us. As soon as we say Jesus plus, it's always the plus that we depend on. I went to church for 17 straight Sundays. I must be saved. Right? Uh, the other, maybe another bad answer.
bad answer. Uh, hey, Jaron, how, how do you know you're going to heaven instead of hell for your sins? You know, so, so, so our problem is separation from God. Our problem is uh, we're going to be judged for our sins or condemned for our sins. How do you know, how do you know you're going to heaven instead of hell? Um, well, if I say, <clears throat> I believe I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. That's a bad answer. The right answer, I'm going to heaven because I've trusted in Jesus alone to save me. I'm, I'm going to heaven because of the grace of God alone is the right answer. If you say, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. Now, I don't doubt you're a good person. Maybe you did give to charity at work. Maybe you gave to the March of Dimes. Maybe you ran a 5K to combat cancer. That's great. I, I have no doubt that you're a kind person. I have no doubt that you're a compassionate person, but do you realize that hell's going to be full of good people? Heaven's going to be full of people that aren't good, but who have trusted in He who is good. Heaven's going to be full of people who are forgiven of their sins, who have been justified in Jesus Christ, declared righteous by God because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, boy, uh, we, we could spend so much time on this. But you see the, the goodness. If you say you're a good person, you realize that goodness in human culture, it ebbs and flows. There's different goodness uh, in South Africa compared to the goodness in the United States. There's di different goodness, levels of goodness or standings of goodness in Korea compared to Afghanistan. There's different goodness in Russia compared to Ecuador. All over the place, everyone has different standards of goodness. But who cares how we compare each other or the ebbs and flows of what's good in culture? Only God is good. And He's the standard. And the Word says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, Romans 3.12 12 says, No one is righteous. No one is good. No one is good enough for heaven. No one is good enough to be accepted into God's holy heaven on their own merit. Realize that, that Matthew 5.48 says that we are called to be perfect. Perfect in our goodness as our Heavenly Father is perfect. How is that possible? Are you perfect? I'm not. If I am thinking it's Jesus plus my perfection, I'm dead. I have no hope. Again, I don't know if there's been a day when I've loved God when, as I should have loved God. I don't know if there's been a day where I've loved people as I should have loved people. I've fallen short of the glory of God. Hebrews 10, 14. Man says, by one sacrifice, he is perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified. In other words, those who put their faith in Jesus are given a status, are, giving a, are given a standing of righteousness. That's what the gospel is all about. Through faith in Jesus, a righteousness of God is given to sinners. A standing with God, a, 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 a goodness that God says is good is given to people so that they can go to heaven, so they can be received into heaven. And you can't earn it yourself. You can't make it up yourself. You can't walk a path enough. It's something that it comes from the outside. That's what Peter says. We believe that we're saved, we're made righteous, we're justified, we're reconciled to God, we're redeemed 
right? All, all the big words in the New Testament talking about salvation were adopted. All, all these things, not by our works, not by what we are, who we are, who we've become, but only by what Jesus has done. We believe that we're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. As we trust in the Lord Jesus alone, the imputation of His righteousness comes into our life. God sees us as righteous in His sight. And we are given the grace of God, the favor of God, the blessing of God, the forgiveness of God. The righteousness of God comes to us who believe. How are you saved? You're saved only through belief in Jesus Christ. Believe in Him for life. Believe in Him for salvation. Believe in Him for heaven. There's no other way by which you must be saved other than the name of Jesus. Believing in Him, in His name, all that He is and all that He's done. That's the bigger issue. Dude, are you saved? Please, don't think about anything else other than Jesus. Turn to Him. Trust in Him, and you will be saved. Please stand in the Lord's presence. I've gone over time again. <laughs> Would you sing the doxology with me, please? Praise God from whom all blessings come. Praise Him, all creatures. Here below, praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Please go in the grace of our God and realize that you're saved by the love of God, by the sacrifice of Christ, worship Him this week. God bless. Go in peace.